everybody. You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by ironcompany.com. <clears throat> okay, so today we're discussing going to the woodshed. The term going to the woodshed is an artistic term from jazz, actually, and refers to a musician entering a period of extended isolation wherein they concentrate on taking their musicianship, uh, their technique, their chops to the next level. Uh, it was back in August when we published one of Marty's articles, it's called The Athletic Woodshed, that parallels Sonny Rollins, a jazz tenor saxophone god, and Kurt Kurwaski, one of the greatest squatters in powerlifting history, describing a, a, <clears throat> a period in each man's life where they withdrew from society, so to speak, uh, to reinvent themselves. So I thought this was an interesting discussion because being on the outside looking in, we often don't see the things that the greatest in the world have to sacrifice to get to that level. Very good, very good. So let's talk about the woodshed. Yeah, that sounds like so Marty, back in the woodshed, back in your day, the woodshed meant something totally different, right? <clears throat> that Kirk Rollins article sounds great. I'm going to have to reread it. I forgot. You read that. You should read that. <laughs> it's a it's a good one. It's uh, go to our articles. I, yes. Anything I did in August, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Well, read it again. You'll enjoy your writing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, um, there's all lengths of the woodshed. And there's a, a, okay. So the woodshed. I mean, that's a that's an old jazz term. Like guys like. Ben Webster and you know Cole Hawkins and the old timers. That's that. I gotta admit, that. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know it was from jazz. I you know when you say the woodshed, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I automatically think of the other alternative, getting your butt beat by a yeah. bat well, or something well, in the backyard. That's that's where it came from. That it was a, a, a period of strictness, a period of discipline, a period of. Yeah. of uh, I'm dissatisfied <clears throat> with um, who and what I am. As a musician, I'm determined to take my game to the next level. What do I do? Yeah. So in Sonny Rollins' case, he, and again, the, the, the great thing about Rollins was that he was at the top of his game. So he really did have something to give up. And everyone's going like, what? Why, you know, why would you stop playing for five years because you feel that you, the most popular tenor saxophone player in the world, has to revamp your entire style. And his answer was, it was pretty cool. He said, he said, I couldn't stand plagiarizing myself anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> he said, I just kept playing the same, regurgitating the same stock phrases, my phrases. Mm -hmm over and over and over and over. But to me, he said, everyone else is going like, oh, that's so incredible. You're so wonderful. You're, you know, you're so inventive. And he's going like, I'm so bored. It's the same old crap. For him. It's, yeah. it's genius for everybody else. It's the same old crap for him. So he had to get away. Well, and if you notice, most artists have their peak creativity within the first three to five years of when they break. Mm. And then after that, they kind of play the, you know, get on the greatest hits tour and play the stuff they made in those first three to five years. Of course, who knows how many years led up to when they when they broke, right? The I'm talking about a musician. A musician has to, he might have spent 10 years getting his chop, chops together before he had his first commercial breakthrough. Yeah. 
Yeah. So again, but Rollins was so brave because he said, man, I suck. <laughs> How long was the period where he stayed away? How long Five was years. Wow. Yeah, but, <laughs> and, and where did he go? Well, what, are you sure it was, uh, I think it was three years, right? Oh, I might have been three years. What did that's I say? What, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, th I think we fact-checked it. I had been told five years, and then I think we fact-checked it. In fact, it was three years. Uh, he, went to the, he went to the middle of the Williamsburg Bridge. <laughs> that's right. Because he, he, he lived in a, now again, this is so, the times. This would have been the 50s, the early 60s, maybe. 59, early 60s, yeah. right. And this is the uh, greatest, highest paid jazz, other than Miles Davis and possibly Coltrane. This is the, the most revered jazz artist of his time. And he's living in, a, in an apartment in Brooklyn. And he can't, tenor saxophone is a loud instrument. So he can't practice in the apartment. So he has to walk to the middle of the Williamsburg Bridge and, and he plays there. And he just sets up shop and I believe it was six or seven nights a week. I forget, some, some times he'd practice all day. I mean, you know, it was incredible the amount of time he spent. But ultimately he did what he set out to do. And then when he came back, it was cool because his, uh, the title of his return album after his hiatus was The Bridge. Oh, is that when he came back, is that, did he, uh, you know, go above and beyond his popularity before he left originally? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because he was so, a young, uh, he was a young man. I think he was 29 when he dropped out, maybe 28, something like that. So when he came back, he was still like, whatever, 32. And uh, no, if anything, he created um, a mystique and a vacuum and, and, and no, here, you know, the, the tenor, the tenor sax colossus is back and let's hear what he's got to say. And he came back with a completely different style, but now he had two styles to draw on. And now the first style didn't sound so stale to him anymore. So, you know what I mean? Now he had two, he was like facile in two languages. That is a true artist, I'll tell you. A, a guy in his 20s at his peak making, I don't know, you know, if the guy was making a lot of money or what he was doing, but he had to be doing something. And uh, it, it, it would take a very unique and artistic individual just to pull themselves away for three years and pull themselves away from everything, the money and all that stuff, too, because they cared so much about their art and their music and what they were putting out and had this vision in their head uh, not a lot of people would be able to do that. Right, right, right. Well, he, uh, to go to the woodshed, you, you have to have your finances together. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you gotta be stocked up ahead of time cause you're not going to be making any money. The whole idea is that you stay out of public sight. You don't play or you don't perform or whatever it is you do. So you don't have that pressure. So, you know, and it could be a month, could be two weeks, you know, could be two years. Uh, we have some athletic examples where, um, I don't know if we want to get into that yet, but uh, athletically, we've got a prime example of, you know, a guy that we know that went to the woodshed for 10 years. And he's in the article. 
Yeah, Kirk. And again, yep. Kirk, Kirk's whole deal was for 10 years, he centered his life around the pursuit. Well, I guess it was two goals, Jimmy. I mean, because he wanted to be the national champion, but he wanted to be the world <laughs> champion. But, you know, the, the first bus stop is you got to be the national champion. Uh, and that it took 10 years. Um, and um, he, he got a really good situation. He had a union job. He had some, Kirk has always been popular with the uh, other gender and he had some relationships, but they came and went, but he stayed true to the goal and stayed true to the task. And he had this um, very good union job. It's a hard working job. He was a offset printer. Mm -hmm. And because he worked four and a half days, he was off two and a half. So that way, he, if he worked half a day on Saturday, he would be off on Monday. So Monday was always the, the heavy squat day. Right. But, but, but Marty, back up just a little bit and talk about mm -hmm. how, what triggered the woodshed moment for him. Like you say in the article, he was at the top of his game in the ADFPA, right? Yeah, so yeah. he thought, well, well, do I stay there or do I – you know, move on. He wanted to go to well, the USPS. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he wanted to compete against the best in the world, and that was yeah. that's what he did. That's why he went the route. So he goes there, and he's now at the bottom, right? He's got to right. go woodshed. Oh boy, we got bitch slapped around for a couple of years there, baby. <laughs> let me tell. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, he didn't walk in and take over. Let's put it that way. Right. Oh man, it was tough. Tough man. A two forty-two pound clash. You had. Uh, Thor Kritzky, Willie Bell, Dave Jacoby, Joe Ladnier. I mean, it was, man, these guys were monsters. And that was Kirk's class. When he initially came on the national scene, he was a 242-er and, and, and doughy. Right. He was not a hard, muscular 242. He was kind of a chub, chubby, baby, young guy, 42. Yeah. 242-er. So he had uh, – and each year you had to take a game up, man. Um, you know, your junior world records uh, don't mean jack at uh, the USPF Nationals where you got guys opening 50 pounds heavier than your junior world record. Right. Welcome to the think, NFL, son. <laughs> now, now, Kirk had these crazy genetics, but when he went into the USPF, you talk about having to just tear him down and just kind of rebuild him. Well, with, form, his you know. with his consent, I mean, we were partners in this. It wasn't like I was Hitler and he was, uh, you know, some SS Waffen dude. Right, right. Yeah. No, it was, a, it was a collaboration. We both came to the mutual agreement, you know, his fast, sloppy, uh, kid, kid style uh, in the ADFPA where he was uncoached, that wasn't going to cut it in the pros. I mean, you know, you might come out of the rack screaming and yelling and be the big fish in the small pond at the ADFPA championships, but in the USPF, you'd be like, wow, this kid needs to go back to kindergarten. Well, so so you're saying he needed a little bit more polish there when he got in the USPF. Yeah, for sure. Kind of yeah. get all, to where all, the all, other guys were. All the te techniques, the squats were deep, the bench pauses were long, the deadlifts had to be erect and held, and they will flunk a lift for the slightest infraction, man. 
And that's the way we want. It was super, super tough judging. And if you're not used to that, it is shocking. It to is tell shocking you, how give much an example. <clears throat> Give an Please. example how strict. Remember Yuri Spinoff? He came and guessed yeah. it. So he squatted like 903 with just a singlet on JP. And he, he opened and closed his hand. Yep. And they didn't count it. No kidding, huh? That's really? <laughs> during during nope. a squat. And closed his hand before he squatted, and they said, nope. I'll, I'll give you an extreme example of how, how dickish their rules could be. I was, uh, myself and Mark Chalet were coaching our training partner, Don Mills, yeah. the greatest master lifter in the world in the 220-pound class. And Don set a world master's record in the squat. Uh, for his age group, which I think at the time was 54 to 60. So they do an equipment check and they came over and they looked at his suit and they looked at his belt and, and uh, he had on wrist straps, right? Yeah. One of the wrist straps was a half inch too long. So they took, so they disallowed the world squat record. Oh man. For a wrist strap, right? (laughs) And, And Mark Chalet, is standing within two inches of this referee's face going, if you flunk this lift with that, I will rip your head off. He did it it anyway. He was like, I don't know who you are, buddy, but this lift flunks. (laughs) You know, there's other examples of the woodshed. So think about it, Marty. What was the bodybuilder that who was the mystery that nobody saw for a whole year after the Olympia. I mean, that's your buddy Yates. Doreen Yates. He would yeah. do that every year, you know, yep. he would go hide away and then he'd appear yep. 15 pounds heavier, grainier and everything mm-hmm. freaked the hell out. There was no <laughs> progress pictures or anything. You know what I'm saying? You, you well, could probably say that about Vic Richards too, back in the day. Well, except he, he never put it on the line. No, he didn't. So he doesn't count. If you don't compete, you don't count. Uh, yeah, well, I think in a way, Jim, you've entered the, the woodshed with your recent move to the country, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think every time I've had, you know, I've got disgusted with myself, um, and said, okay, time to lose 30 pounds or whatever. I just cut off communication with everybody. I, you know, I, I, I just cut out all the extraneous bull crap. And so I can focus on that. You know, I love the idea you know, you think about, you know, Walden's Pond. You think about uh, one yeah. of my favorite authors, uh, Harry Cruz, who rented a cabin in the mountains of Georgia and did his best work and just would go to the gym every day and that was it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff where where today is it's harder and harder to do for a lot of people, but yeah. people yearn for it, man, to get your freaking thoughts right. Yeah. You know, it's just like I wrote an article uh, the other day. It was about how I could, you know, when I was working at Penn, I could only take so I take about three weeks of everybody being around me and talking to me and just the cars. And I would just say, all right, I got to go to my buddy Steve's 52 acre farm. And I would just go down there, my dog. And sometimes we would just sit, you know, just to gather. It can be a short step, just to gather your freaking thoughts, man, you know. Well, yeah, but, but, but now you're able to live that. Yeah, I can just walk out my backyard and sit in the woods. And you don't have to go show up at the job and work for the man. Right. Never. So that allows also, I think that the, 
Oh, I've read a couple books. I can't remember the title of them. Uh, I think uh, Goldman did one. And, and these are about the idea that in the modern age, the, the way that is, is, is long reflective thought is uh, no longer an option because I think they did a study, and this is a couple of years ago, on the average individual gets or receives uh, a message or communication once every 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. So there's no extended time of, 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 of silence and, and to, to contemplate and to piece together anything that's an extended narrative. Right. Everything is chopped up into small bits. You shoot me a little sound bit and I answer you back in a little sound bit. Right. right. Well, that doesn't make for great art. That's true. <laughs> if there's a need for art anymore, I don't know, man. Maybe there's not. I don't know. But anyway, getting back to the woodshed and switching it to athletics, uh, the Eastern Europeans founded this concept. What they would do is they would, uh, and uh, I know for the, the Hungarians and the Polish, there was a guy named Morris Weisbrot, who was a leading American Olympic coach up from Lost Battalion Hall in New York City in the 60s. And Morris spoke Polish, so he used to go to the Polish National Training Camp that they held for two weeks in the mountains in the summer, and they take the Polish national weightlifting team up there and they'd uh, get up in the morning and, you know, jog and then they'd go play volleyball and then they'd go swim and then they'd eat this fantastic food. And they'd train uh, once a day for like three hours and then at night they'd watch lifting films, then they'd go to sleep. Right. Right. And they did that. And they all looked forward to that because that was the two-week camaraderie. And uh, Weisbrot used to, you know, say, and everybody's game would be taken to, up to the next level. And they would try to time these training camps so that it would fall about a month before a na uh, either a national champ, a big competition, let's just say a really big competition. So they peak out coming out of this uh, two-week training camp because you're lifting in front of all the other greatest guys in the country, right? right? You got the team thing going, you got the whole thing going. Then they recoup, they re, uh, recompensate, and they rebound, and then they, they time the peak for the nationals of the world. So they have like their, their last really hard training sessions at the training camp, and then that they time that to peak for the nationals of the world, which is genius. If you have the the time, the money, and the energy to, you know, I mean, they were, you got MSB government backed or have, you know, some huge corporate sponsor to put up a, uh, you know, 15 lifters and coaches and what are you going to have? You're going to have trainers, right? Some doctors. So, I mean, that's a, that's an expensive position there. Probably, yeah. They probably have massage therapists and all yeah, that stuff too. Yeah, they, they had. They were, they were the big believers in that. So, again, that's, that's a good example of an intense two-week training camp. Uh, I think we kind of took the boys to the woodshed when we would uh, go in for a week at a time training the Tier 1 guys. Yeah. I know they viewed it, they viewed it that way. Uh, and, again, there's a, you know, you've got the – you're with the guys at night, you're with the guys when you train during the day, and you're really imparting knowledge. You're almost having like a Vulcan mind melt. Yeah. And then you're hoping they take that knowledge and then work with it when you're gone, right? 
But we worked the hell out of when we were there that that Monday through Friday. I mean, they're 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 pretty fried by the end of it. But again, the feedback we get is that well, you know, everybody's game is taken to the next level. But that is what accounts for why we kept getting asked back over and over and over and over, right? Yeah. You don't, I mean, get, well, asked, you don't get asked back with those guys if you don't get results. They're not they're well, not around to be your friend. Yeah, they're real fired up to, to do it, too, to have you guys yeah. come out. So yes, they're, they're yes, ready yes. for it. We think well, about that's, it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The old school boxers. I mean, what did Marciano go away for 12 weeks or something? Yeah. No, no newspapers, no mail. Right. He wasn't right. allowed to have newspapers or mail. Um, they tried to kick his father out, but he got pissed off and said, my father stays. No sex. Um, yeah. I mean, total – like a monk, man. Like well, a monk. Yeah. And Ali, Ali would do the same thing up here in Pennsylvania. His, yeah. He had the training camp up here in Pennsylvania. I don't know how long his uh, pre-prep phase was. But that was Stone Age training back then. They didn't know they didn't know a lot about how to train. They just, you know, they just did a lot of whatever. Uh, oh, and like do stuff like chopping wood. You know, chopping wood is good for a fighter. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Is it, you know? But that, that's, that's another great example of the woodshed. Yeah, the old school uh, boxing camp, right? Yeah. So, so the woodshed can really be anywhere from a few days to 10 years or whatever your situation is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, no. what you, if you are able to um, center your life around your passion, be it artistic or athletic. Yeah. Could be cooking, you know what I mean? You could be like a chef on a journey to be the best possible chef you can become, right? It is so many occupations, could be a bricklayer, you know, or somebody who builds houses. You're just so into it that you just center your life around getting better at that. Yeah, I think everybody needs to do it, man. You know, if, if you have, uh, you know, two weeks of vacation, take four or five days like that and just go be by yourself and just, you know, just, just don't even put any thoughts in your head. Just let them come, you know, and you leave there when you, when you have those times and you're so full of ideas and the world seems so <laughs> fresh, you know, even when I go away, like I went away last weekend, stayed in a hotel with my son had a baseball game. Just, just that, you know, just that helps, you know, like, man, well, I should do this or, you know, that's, I'm going to work on this, that kind of thing. Just enables you to sort of gather some thoughts, clear your mind. You, know. you should chop down all the woods in your, in your whole neighborhood. <laughs> with, an with an axe, right? Yeah. <laughs> Getting the flow of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm creating my own Walton Pond. Get away from me. But you know, there are books now basically telling you how to do this. You know? Oh, you're kidding me, really? Well, because of the yeah. you gotta turn off your phone, you gotta turn off your computer, you turn yeah. off, you know, all this the all this other stuff you have. And the guy is a pretty well known author now. I forgot what the it was uh you know, like work smart or something like that. And it's just it, he's just like, Yep, I don't he said, I'm doing okay and I don't have any of that stuff because as soon as I put it in my life, it clouds my brain and I don't have any new ideas wasn't it nice when we didn't have all that stuff man you could so, just man. go get away yeah. get away and not have to worry about anything it's yeah. like you know when i get back home uh, that's when i start taking phone calls and stuff we didn't have computers or cell phones yeah. or you could genuinely 
get away. Now, if you try to get away with all, all that stuff, you feel guilty. It's like, oh, I should have brought my cell phone. <laughs> you know, but well, you just got to let it go. You got to compartmentalize, right? I would have one technological exception. And that would be that, um, what is a heart rate monitor? No, 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 no. Spotify, <laughs> Sp Spotify. What is it? The, the, the music, yeah, the music, man. Music yeah. is incredible. This is unbelievable that you can, it's like any obscure tune that you can think of or any album or anything you've ever come across in your life that you like, you can call it up and boom, there it is. Yeah. Including, including a lot of stuff that's been out of print. <laughs> for 40 years and it's like okay i can hear that again and it's just it's like having an oracle hey um uh, what about this freddie c scott are you lonely for me baby 1962 boom there it is it's like oh my god i haven't heard that since i dated Renella, renita hellickson in high school you know what i mean no it is it is so <laughs> convenient you know the the one thing though marty wasn't it special when you'd go to kemp mill records on the day the new Zeppelin album yeah, came out. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Jimmy, I spent so much money, oh, and, I, and so many of those albums, you'd buy the whole album, and you'd be like, <laughs> if three songs were good, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember I bought Love Gun. Uh, yeah, and I was so excited, dude, and it was scratched. <laughs> I was so, so pissed off, man. Love gone. <laughs> I was so into like, love, love. It was skipping. Oh, man, it made me crazy. It made me crazy. <laughs> so I would make uh, the music. I use music because I think that kind of a soundtrack to my life, right? Music's great, man. Love it, love it. Almost everything I do, I'll, uh, I'll soundtrack it, you know. It's very uh, strange to people who don't like it. They're like, why do you need that music? I know. You know? know it's funny. I know. Yeah. I, I know. But my thinking is that, you know, if I'm in nature and I don't hear any mechanical sounds, nature will trump music. I like nature, right? right. But if I hear cars or anything or it's like okay you know what i'm i'm gonna listen to whoever less mccann doing digging coal you, you, you know well because whatever, it can whatever enhance, me right now it can enhance the experience you're currently going through whether you're in nature you're in the gym or whatever so yeah. music's very important yes i think it's so. the mood yeah yeah yeah. So anyway, and again, this whole idea that, you know, uh, being in the woodshed, um, you, you, you got to learn how to practice. Yeah. Right. And regardless of whatever it is you do, uh, you, you really, it's, it's not about vacation. It's about uh, the opposite of vacation. You're really putting in hours doing what it is you do to do it better. Now, obviously in resistance training, you don't want to overtrain, you don't want to do too much, but there are so many things that you do outside of resistance training that improve resistance training. Yeah. Right. That you can keep occupied with that. Kirk spent a lot of time preparing his food. Right. He, Kirk was very facile in the kitchen. He's very good at preparing these uh, kind of these one pot, you know, rice, chicken, you know, some vegetable mixed in kind of meals that were, you know, very appropriate and a lot of volume, right? Because he needed volume. A guy like him took in a lot of calories. So, again, you do things 
if you're a musician, uh, I know Coltrane practiced, even if, even when he was at the top of his game up until his death, he practiced five hours a day. Yeah. And he ran his scales. He, he tried different mouthpieces. He tried different reeds. He was a practice fanatic. And he put these kids to shame. They were like, hey, you're at the top of the game. Why are you still running scales? And he said, because I can do them better. You know, satisfied. Never satisfied. He's doing what we're doing with the barbell. Oh, uh, except except with the music, you can do it every day, right? Uh, yeah. You can't do, you can't lift hard and heavy every day. Yeah. And no, but like you I, can always. Yeah, yeah. get better can, by doing other things, yes. Yeah, yeah. But we're always okay. trying to, ref now, Marty, you've been lifting since, you know, the since 50s, eggs started, right? Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> Before barbells were even uh, invented, before yours yeah. was even around. Yeah. Um, but you're always, but still to this day, because you're still woodshedding, right? Yeah, exactly. You're always trying to still improve yourself, your technique, learn more. You're like a but, sponge, you know. But I'm, I'm woodshedding on a multitude of levels, see, because I'm a writer. I've been a full-time mm -hmm. prof full professional writer since 1989. Yeah. And as a writer... If you want to write really good, you move to the country and, you know what I mean, and get some peace and quiet and, and uh, you get critical mass. You make enough money that you can support yourself. <clears throat> and then your time is your own. And then, you know, my wife, she's, I, I love her. I love her company. She's great. She's upbeat. She's the exact opposite of me, but she's a horse professional and she spends a lot of time with horses. So I'm kind of what they call a horse widow. Right. <laughs> but that's okay. Right. Cause like she's, she, yeah, she's really passionate about horses. Right. So this, her passion with horses gives me time to really dig into the contemplative concentrated writing that I need to do. Yeah. And then I'm also very woodshedy about my resistance training and I, I like food. I like preparing. I look forward to obtaining really quality nutrients and then preparing them and making really delicious food. It's like, now nah, it ain't killing them and plucking them or skinning them and gutting them. But you know, you know what I mean? It's um, taking more care, trying to, uh, I live in an area where I, there's no excuse for me not to eat organic. Really isn't. Yeah. So just get off your ass and get in the car and go do it. You know, go to the little yeah. farmhouse and go to the butcher shop and pick, get the good stuff, which is what I did today. I got some, some beef ribs. I got some uh, uh, good homemade sausage. Oh. You're going to send me pictures? No, you need to send <laughs> us pictures. You're, you're you in send... barbecue paradise. You send us the pictures. I'll send you some pictures, but, man, you send me some pictures once in a while. I just go, oh, man, look at that. I mean, well, that's called food you're point. smoking the ribs and <laughs> putting them in foil and letting them rest and yeah, yeah, putting, yeah. putting water pans in the smoker and doing all this stuff. Man, you do it right. So it's, e it's easier than you think. Uh, so, now, Jim. Yes. What, when you, what are your other, what do you do outside of lifting to improve your lifting, to improve, to, what, well, you know, obviously no one's looking to enter a powerlift competition right. 
so, you know, do, do you have hard goals or soft goals or intermediate goals? Do you have goals or is it now just a period of every day is spontaneous? Uh, training wise, it's more, I have to, if I'm training for something, then I, then I'll have goals. If not, it's more like a release for me going to the gym. But what you, I was do, you, do you, are you pre-planned or you, do you do what you want to do when you want I just to make end? sure I get, I get everybody part. Uh, I always squat on Mondays. Okay. Or, or yeah. do some type of leg yeah. stuff. Yeah. Lead Everything. off. That's what I do. Yeah. Lead off. The, uh -huh. And then I take one day after that and I uh, usually just do cardio or kickbox, whatever that day. And then I, then I'll make sure I get everybody part in by Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, and, and my staff and I used to talk about this at Penn all the time. We, it was so much fun learning stuff about lifting and how to train people and strength and bodybuilding and nutrition and powerlifting that we would do it all day. I mean, we'd be constantly sending uh, articles to each other. We'd be constantly reading to each other or saying, man, you got to listen to this or you got, you know. Um, and so all that sort of all that improves what you're doing without it being tedious or, you know, it's just fun to learn about that stuff. You know, so you're always, even though we're not in the weight room actually lifting the weights because you can't do it all the time and make gains, you're always trying to improve yourself, whether it's, and I always yeah. felt like if I, if I learned something, tried it out, that was, you know, that was going to help my kids, I, my, my players. I would never say, hey, guys, we're doing this on the squat today and 85% uh, of your max for five sets of six or something. If I've never done, if you've never done that, guess what? that's going to take them two weeks to recover if they can even do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's easy to write it on paper, you know? So we would learn and try and experiment. And then we'd say, okay, now we're ready to put these on the kids. You know, after you, should, you should do the five sets of six of uh, stiff leg deadlift standing on a bench. With your back <laughs> out at the bottom. You know? Uh, you, hey, Meg, I got to tell this one story. So I'm at Marty's. I think it was the time me and Rob Wagner came up there and I'm sitting there. Marty made us... Uh, this green beans with like fat back in it and ham and all this stuff. And Stacy was out teaching, teaching lessons, horse lessons. So she comes back and she goes, Oh, what's for lunch? And I said, trying to be funny. Well, it's some horse. We got oh boy. Oh God. <laughs> and it was dead silent. Marty looked at me like, <laughs> what did you just say? And Stacy was like, I've only met this ass ass one time. And then like, oh no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm ready for my favorite dish. And so I'm like, what's your favorite dish? And she says, oh, the green beans. I had eaten all of the green beans. Yeah. I ate her favorite. Oh, I ate it all, man. I was like, persona non grata after that. And she yeah. still talks to you, huh? After all that. Yeah, well, she's got a good heart. Be grudging. Be, be grudging. Be grudging. You're, yeah. you're still way down on her list. Yeah, she's like, what, what? You know, your, your dad's a professor and your mom's a, was an English teacher. That's yeah. so messed up. That's what she said. That's what <laughs> she, she said. So messed up. <laughs> Stacy has a lot of, um, she deals with big animals and she deals with big men. And so she's got a lot of uh, practice. Yeah, well, I like the straightforwardness. I'd rather oh, have than anything else. Listen, and she'll tell you, she said, listen, after 20 years of dealing with Kirk Karwaski said, "You're, you're nothing." Small potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So again, Jim, back to the other stuff. Now, again, with you also, your simultaneous woodshed is the honey. 
Yeah, no question. And right. I was just thinking, it doesn't even, you know, JP said it could be weeks, could be days. It could be just a morning, you know, it could be just. Um, well, you have resistance training and cardio. Yeah. And you work hard at both those. Okay, that's like a given. You don't not do cardio. You don't not resistance train. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's the bare minimum. Okay. Yeah. So now, in addition to that, now you have time for your for your hunting passion. Your and your son is the duck call champion of where? He's fourth in the world in goose calling. <laughs> duck calling. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. At age what? He was uh, thirteen when he did that. Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So again, but again, now you get to you get to pursue this, right? Yeah, and it's and it's uh, you know, it relaxes me just like you know, anything else does where your, your thoughts, you know what it is? It's that, it's that intense focus. Yeah. Like where, you know how you always say, when you got this much on your back, there's nowhere else to focus, but that yeah. weight on your back. That's it, well, when you're waiting for the birds to come Yeah. and you can hear, like, I can't hear crap when my kids are talking to me. I'm like, what? Speak up. <laughs> Talk like a man. Enunciate. But I can hear a goose three miles away. <laughs> there's nothing yeah. outside you yeah. know in, in your focus <laughs> i think that that's part of the addiction is the anticipation and that total focus. you know i look down at my lab and he's like every little thing that flies man his eyes are darting and, and we're, we're all like that in the goose blind and it, and all nothing else matters because you you can't have anything else matter no, no you can't be multitasking yeah Right. But it gives you an excuse, too, to forget about all the other stuff. Right. No, like, okay, not, no, I don't have to think about that for no, right now. No, that's the, yeah. you won't, it doesn't work. I mean, that's the, that's the unintended consequence. Yeah. You, don't think it in, you don't think your way into it that way. You have to have something that you care about so much mm. that it, it's an, you, you need things that are attention gathering devices, like uh, riding a motorcycle in the rain at 70 miles an hour. That's an attention gathering device. Having 500 pounds in your back, having a shotgun on your hand as a bunch of really cool geese are flying in, right? Yeah. You're just, you're just wordlessly, effortlessly, electrically silent Right, but every, I don't know what your spidey senses are tingling, right? That's a different quality of consciousness than, hey, you know what? I really need to stop thinking as much as I do. I really need to be conscious. Yeah, you know what? Hey, hey, conscious mind, could you just like tune it down a little bit? Back off. Yeah, back in. Yeah, just, you know, it, it's okay. We still like you, but just, can you talk less? Now you've got yourself talking to yourself. Yeah. When I was in high school, my friends, I said, man, I, I got to get away. And all my friends would say, steal in Egypt. <laughs> That's it. That was what I would say. Because they wouldn't, I wouldn't call anybody. I wouldn't talk. It'd be like a week. Uh, great. And then I'd be back and I'd be refreshed. We're <laughs> still, we're, he's going. And sometimes I would say, hey guys, I'm going to Egypt. And they'd be like, "All right, man, we'll see you like next week." And that yeah. I would. Now would this every, be every every third week? Yeah, you know, I'd <laughs> be a little longer in, the, in high school, you know. But I would go into the weight room, and I knew nobody else was going to be there. Okay. You know, I'd go run by myself. You know, mm -hmm. I just needed a reset, man. You just got. By the way, how, how did you come up with Egypt? 
They did. With, yeah, my friends would just say they did. Place they, away that, that crazy. He ever was going to go to, I guess. It's just crazy, senseless teenage boy. Adelphi. He's gone to Egypt. He's gone to <laughs> well, you're Egyptian, aren't you? That's where you came up with it. I have I like one fifth or sixth. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, JP. Yeah, JP, I mean, go to the woodshed, JP, because you work like 9,000 hours a day. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm always woodshedding when it comes to the company. I'm always trying to, um, you know, figure out ways to do you're things better. You're, pa you're passionate about it. Very passionate about it. Have been for 25 years. Yeah. Um, and when you're deeply passionate about something, whether it's business or lifting or whatever, it's easy to go to the woodshed. You're encouraged and fired up about going to the woodshed because you're always trying to get better yeah. at what like, you do. You're always trying yeah, to improve. I hear, I hear you say, you know, I worked a lot of hours, but you never bitch. So everybody that works the kind of hours that you do, they don't hey, like you know what, man? Yeah, it's a whole time, but trade off. It's yeah. a trade off. If you want to be the best power lifter in the world, it's going to take, you know, hours and hours and hours and doing things that, most of the population just will not do. Same way with business. I mean, you gotta be, you know, I get up at 2.30, go right to work, get done about six, seven o'clock at night, you know, work seven days a week. You know, we're, we're a small company, but we're doing many things and we're, you know, we're, uh, we've been around for 25 years and, and we're probably one of the most recognizable fitness equipment companies out there yeah. uh, so you don't you know, feel a need to, to say oh man i gotta get away because i do you go on vacation I, man i really i you know i've got two daughters they're moved out now i mean we used to do different stuff with them well um, time, time out time out time out now he did have a mountain cabin on the lake Oh, and he lived in California, Jim. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we did have that. So I would woodshed <laughs> in the mountains. Uh, I, I'd be living there. I'd be like, okay, call, listen, call first before you come. I I, think I, my I, biggest, I, I'm, I'm in Egypt. That's it. I think my, you know, I'm always woodshedding with the business, like I said, but I think my, if I really had to say what was my biggest woodshedding moment, and that was back in high school. I was a skinny, shy kid. I moved to Maryland, just down the street from uh, Marty. Was Howard going Bill. to middle so, school. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he, it's a small. He lived in a small village outside of Power. Yeah, But, but you know, I was the new kid from California that was deathly shy, skinny. So I was an easy uh, target. Uh, I yeah. put up with that for a little while, and I said, you know what? I'm going to the woodshed. I built a bench press out of wood, got an old billard barbell set, and I forged that the, myself. That is the wood shed. That, that's, that is the wood shed because that is – That is fundamental. That is – that did you became have, – Did you have concrete plates? What were your plates? Uh, that was they, early on. No, I had a, I had a billard barbell set. Yeah, yeah. Oh, standard, cast iron. Okay, right? did, with – but you were they iron or were they pla the plastic ones with the no, sand? No, man. And this was an old that my neighbor had this and he gave it to me. And this thing was old. It even had money now. It even had the kind if I remember right, it had the kind of bar where you had a chrome sleeve on the bar itself. It was like a five foot bar, and that yeah. spun, and then you had this the the collars with the um, 
the the screws in it and it sounds like a damn Bugatti. But I went to, I went to the woodshed and I built myself up. I solved my my personal problems and lo and behold it turned into a, a, a whole life and occupation for me and I was able to you know do uh, pretty well and put other people to work. So that was my woodshed moment. That was the 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 first one and probably the the most will always be the most impactful right. one in my life. So, um, but like we're talking about, I mean, you, you always have to kind of go back to the woodshed and rethink, like, you know, just take off for a little while. Like, like, like Jim's talking about rethink your circumstances, you know, freshen up your mind, gather your thoughts and just try to always improve whether it's your personal life, your business life, Stop, play, stop, stop plagiarizing yourself. So, you know, and I think before this conversation, I mean, I didn't. Most people don't think of it as woodshedding. So I think that's going to be a term that uh, more and more people think about now. And that, you know, it kind of sums it up. It kind of, uh, you know, puts a, puts a new perspective on it. Well, you know, uh, J.D. Salinger, Marty. Um, yeah. He Catcher had a in the rye. What's that? Catcher in the rye. Yeah, so he had a cabin in New Hampshire. And when he would start writing, nobody. And now his, 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 his cabin was right next to the house. You just walked right. through the woods a little bit, and there it was. Nobody was allowed to go in there. His kids. He didn't see his kids for weeks and weeks and weeks. He was woodshedding. Yeah. Uh. And, uh, you know, they knew, don't knock on the door, don't look in the windows. You know, daddy's working. <laughs> But, uh, and, leave, and leave a hot meal on the stoop three times a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, I was just like, wow, he's really going, you know, he's that's his Walden Pond for sure, you know. Uh, yeah, I am, um, I'm not too far from that. Yeah. I'm really, really not. I just, uh, but again, uh, a couple of, it was one, I read something that Aristotle said, it said uh, only um, gods and wild animals revel in isolation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's like, but yeah, but, uh, you know, they're not writers or they're not doing painting or sculpture or they're not, you know, it, it's different when you have something that requires a lot of time. It's tough to do something passionately when you only have, what, an hour, right. an hour a day, <laughs> right? It's hard to get it past hobby status. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. It is because I know, you know, through the work I've done, you know, through what, uh, especially through the business. I mean, you really get into something. You're deep in the woodshed, and the hours just go like minutes. And you yeah. never, you know, you're so fired up and so hot on a certain project or whatever. You just never want to stop. You yeah. know, and it's like there's not enough time in the day for. And, and that's if your time is your own. Right. Right. <clears throat> Imagine that you got to put in eight to ten hours for the man. And then trying to fit this in on the side, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, and then throw a family in on top of that. It's like, oh, my yeah. God. Well, the way, the way I, the way I was able to start my business is I was working for the family driving a truck and I was working, you know, 15, 20 hours a day, uh, three days a week. The other four days I was able to, to start my business. And then, you know, then at that point I was working 15, 20 hours a day, just trying to build my business. So. All right, that better give you an appreciation for sleep. Yes, it will. <laughs> Definitely.
All right, so look, let's just, uh, let's just recapitulate, as we used to say. Uh, so the idea of the woodshed is that you are looking to take the, whatever you're passionate about to the next level, right? And what does that mean? Again, you have to kind of redefine what you're doing. You're gonna to have to reapproach what you're doing and uh, you're looking at it to come at it from different angles. You're not, you're not taking woodshed time to do a whole bunch more of the same. That's not really the, the idea of it. The idea it's is contrast. that, yeah, yeah, let's try some different stuff seriously mm -hmm. and see if we can really take it to the next level because I've been doing what I've been doing, regardless of whether it's art or athletic, but I haven't been improving, right? That's the fundamental question. Oh, okay, what do we do about it? Well, I think I need to take a period of, um, you know, extended isolation as best I can and uh, really, really, really focus, put in the hours necessary, put in the practice time necessary, whatever's needed to really concentrate on this thing. And now, how long? Initially, of course, you're going to do it for short burst. Good to get good at it for short burst. Over time, it um, you know becomes more and more predominant. And I would think that if you look at a 12-week cycle, which is pretty classical, pretty standard, you could look at that as a period of going into the woodshed. Yeah. Because you really have to coordinate. You have to coordinate your weight training. You have to coordinate your cardio. You have to coordinate your nutrition. And that's a lot of coordination. And you really have to be fired up about the goals that lie at the end of that 12 week period. If the goal is substantial enough, it will motivate you. But if it's unrealistic, it's really gonna disappoint you because you won't attain it, right? So it can't be ridiculously high. You know, a guy can deadlift 480 and at the end of the cycle now he thinks he's gonna deadlift 600. It's like, no way, dude. <laughs> How about 5.30, right? Right, Free. he starts at 4.80. I'm just saying, you've got to modulate expectations. The expectations, the goal has to be enough to motivate right, right, the trainee, but it has to be realistic enough to actually be obtainable. Again, that usually falls in the 2 to 5% range. All right. So that could be considered a woodshed period, a classic 12 week cycle where you start out, you're into it and in the middle part, you're really into it. And at the end of it, you're peaking. And, and you've then got you're verifiable done. and you've got verif verifiable yeah. results too. mathematical. Math I mean, you don't want to go to the woodshed. Mm. The, 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 the whole idea of the woodshed is going in and coming out on the other side better than you entered. Whether Tangi it's tangible improvement, tangible improvement, whether it's, you know, Irre your, irrefutable, your passion or your lifting, power, whatever. After a powerlifting meet, the excitement of writing up your next cycle, oh, right. that's like, you know, going to the, oh man, I'm going to improve this much and look at the weight yeah. someone's lift at the end. And yeah. that was the most exciting part. Like right after this, man, I'm writing everything down, you know, you, get so you, about that. you would, we would compose it like a symphony. Yeah. And you'd have it, and you'd, you'd pull it out each day, and you'd rewrite it. You'd add, oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, but wait, wait. 
15 pounds and it's it's great because you by the time you it's time to launch it you're really fired up yeah and the initial weights would be very light and very doable and it would really make you like wow i can do this right, right. <laughs> you know and the thing that all my buddies did that was so wrong is they all started their cycles too heavy too high yeah Oh my God. And by week three, they're struggling. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, we have to save grind for the last three weeks, not the first three. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, but again, it's like, and this degrees of the woodshed, right? You can get into the woodshed partially and then based upon the success you have, get into it more. And then based upon the real success you're having, really get into it. Right. And then a lot of guys have the ability to stay there and they stay there for as long as they're improving. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, but it, it will have a shelf life. It's going to have a, you're going to have a period where you're going to make great gains, but then those gains are going to uh, plateau mm -hmm. and then they're going to start to descend and you have to be astute enough and sharp enough to know, okay, you know what? Let's just let this go. We did great. Wow, look at, you know, look how high on the hill we planted the flag. Yeah. But now it's time to let this go and uh, go back down to the bottom of the hill and try something new and different. And maybe not as disciplined, right? Maybe you go from uh, the woodshed of the two at time of, I don't know, kind of almost spontaneousness, you know, but with the, um, your mind is very sharp. It's very clear when you come out of a, come out of the woodshed because you're very used to focused thinking. You have long periods of whether you're doing a sculpture or whether you're writing an article, whether you're writing a novel, whether you're sitting in a duck blind, uh, you have long periods of, of um, focus, right? Uninterrupted focus. If you're interrupted, you can't, you, it doesn't work. It shatters the mood, right? It, you, can't, you can't hunt duck if you're receiving or texting every 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> no, like you brought your cell phone with you. Oh, it's too important. I've got to take this call. Well, guess what? You're really not duck hunting, buddy. Right? You're, you're a hobbyist. So you're, halfway, you're halfway to the woodshed. <laughs> you're not at the woodshed. No, you're not. No, you're not even close. You, you don't even have a pretense to be in the woodshed. Yeah. You're just doing this as uh, entertainment. Yeah. This is just Party. a distraction. Is there any age limit to going no. into the woodshed? No, absolutely not. In fact, it's easier to get into go to the woodshed as you get older because you tend to have more time to yourself. Yeah. Right. So when that's the key, it's very hard to go into the woodshed when you have when none of your time is your own. I think that's part of the reason why our Sunday morning once a week strength training sessions are so popular is because we only need the guys for two hours a week. Mm -hmm. We do one thing really good for two hours a week. We make them stronger, we make them more muscular, we do three lifts plus maybe some power cleans and arms, we send them on their way and they improve, right? And I think that that's why we have had for five years, we have had such a strong group and such a high retention rate. And visually, you look at the guys and it's like, I was looking at one of the guys the other day and I said, that guy looks like he left the coat hanger in his t-shirt. 
Right? Arms. Traps. Ah. Looks like he left a coat hanger in. Right? Huge. Traps. Traps. Mountainous. Everybody's got these mountain range traps. I'm looking around and going, is that the power cleans? Oh, that's a deadlift. Deadlift, man. Right. Their upper backs are all jacked up. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a real, but, but again, they have passion to come. They, even though these guys are like, they work construction jobs. We got one guy who's a, a, a ninja tree climber. You know, we got, these guys work hard. They have families. They have no time. Right. But they do have time enough to slice it out three hours, you know, half hour to get to the gym, two hours to train, half hour to get home. Three hours, we can make them bigger and stronger. Now, they get passionate about that. That's their little little tiny peak of the woodshed. Right, and, and the results can make them more passionate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they're like plotting. Mm, now, man, I went fast, man. Wait till I get, wait till these kids get grown. Like Jimmy's thinking, you know, like, you know if some gets off to college, I'm really going to, I'm going to write that novel that I've always promised Marty that I'm going to do after I read The Bear. <laughs> read The Bear by Faulkner. <laughs> Before I die, please. Okay. No, you know what? That's, that's good. I will do that. All right. Thank you. So anyway, no, the woodshed gets more obtainable and more doable as you get older. Because like I said, you know, um, well, you're a bit of an empty nest. Are you an empty nester? JP, yeah. JP? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah. yeah. So what what are you finding? Aren't you finding you've got a lot more alone time? Well, kind of, I mean, I can, uh, you know, I can put more time into to, to business or lifting. No, or, I'm saying, didn't the kid, did, no, but wait, didn't the kid, uh, did the kids still live home with you? One does part-time. She's going back and forth between school. Okay. But, but again, isn't it a big change when you don't have two people living in the house? We noticed when our daughter moved out, it's like, wow, this is so, so incredible. No, not that we loved our daughter, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It's um, the biggest thing is you got to be, you know, with your spouse, you got to kind of, it's funny because you're thrown back together. Think about it. You, you raise your kids till they're like 18 or whatever. Right. And your wife's doing her thing and you're doing yep. your thing. Yep. And you come back together 18 years later, you've both grown and matured and all that by 18 years. And it's like you're scratching your head who is this person? You know, you got, you got to kind of figure each other out. Um, because it's, 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 it's just different. It's weird. We, it's a, a weird experience being an empty nester. It's a, uh, a thrust into reality. Uh, it's like a time machine almost, hmm. you know, it's just kind of strange. Well, yeah. So yeah, I hear that. Well, to end on a down or net. <laughs> A lot of people All right, so that was the situation. <laughs> so that <laughs> so that was the woodshed. And if you want to read that article, it's called the Athletic Woodshed. And like I said, it's uh, posted in March. But if you go to the articles section at the top of our website, ironcompany.com, uh, just click on that, and you'll see you'll see a picture of uh, Sonny Rollins on there. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good. Yeah. JP, you got any specials going on this week? At Iron Company. I got specials. We're uh, sending out orders as fast as humanly possible. 
Um, real strange time right now in the fitness industry, boy. I tell you, everybody's going gangbusters. Everybody's putting equipment in their garage gyms or home gyms. We don't know when the the commercial gyms are going to open. Some are closed. Some are, you know, halfway open. All that, but. Uh, uh, the biggest thing we've got right now, which I really, really like, is we've got, uh, we found a nice USA uh, foundry. So we're making our own Olympic plates. Yeah. And so we're doing some deep dish, you know, the old style deep dish, you know, uh, Olympic plates. Yeah. I'd flans, deep dish. Like, like your uh, prior to prior to 19 whatever 68 or whenever yeah nothing nothing fancy it's just deep dish there's no holes that go through them for grips and all that stuff and the real advantage is when you have four plates on each side it really looks huge it it does but the noise that it makes man it's like funny uh, yeah i was i'm listening to tom platt as audible book yeah. like yeah. seven hours i'm on like six six hours and 30 minutes right now and he talks about how he would leave a little space between the plates. <laughs> hear the the clang. clang he's like i hate those rubber plates you know what else this is interesting the audience will look he hated squatting he hated squatting he would he would get anxious so anxious you know it's like when you're first walking in the ring in a fight he said he would get so anxious the night before he, the heart would be beating fast when he got there because he knows what he was going to put himself through but he was like it was a necessary – now, he said, I love the results. But everybody thinks that I was just this guy who just loved squatting. He said, no, not at all. And he also – listen to this. He, go ahead. What did he use to get his maximum size? You know how we talked about Arnold? Yeah. And we said, like, well, you know, he got all his size in Europe before he came yeah, yeah. over. What yeah. did Platts use to get his maximum gigantic thigh size? Well, Was that he the did. powerlifting period? Well, yeah, he grew up – well, he – he grew up lifting with Shemansky and uh, yeah. in uh, Detroit at uh, yeah, Tony yeah. Armito's gym, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so they taught him how to squat, ass to, to the ground. Uh, and they told him, listen to this, Marty, you'll love this. You're not coming back unless you have weightlifting shoes. Mm-hmm. So he had, you know, so he had to go get the, because they're a bunch of Olympic lifters, you know, so he yeah. came back. Um, he's always squatted in squat shoes. And since then, he sent a letter to Weeder when he was a kid. And Weeder said, you got a lot of potential. You got to work on your legs. You got to work on oh, your legs. Perfect. So he started squatting and squatting and squatting. He, listen, his workouts were so intense. He would be so sore. Once every 14 days, he squatted. That's it. He didn't touch his legs once every 14 days. And I think uh, maybe uh, even, uh, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Once every 14 days. Yes, yes. This, is, this is the rested effort. Yeah, he said, you know, you can, you can, Squat twice a week, but don't tell me you're being intense. Don't tell me that you're you're. you're uh, going well, to yeah. but Jim, t- I mean, I give this. some of the give some of the squat sessions. Listen to this. Listen to this. He squatted four or five for fifty. You know, he squats deep. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about it. no right. He's, he wore yeah, that he's little to the skinny, skinny belt. He did three fifteen for fifty, then took a break and did it for fifty more. Mm-hmm. He did two twenty five for ten minutes straight. I believe <laughs> 10 minutes straight, you know, and I, I think about this constantly, um, you know, how hypertrophy versus hyperplasia, you know, hyperplasia is the, is the, you know, the splitting of the muscle fiber, the muscle cell, you know, I, I think that he did so, like, he would do six fifty for 15, you know, 
So maybe he's the only one with his legs looking like that that maybe had some of that muscle. It, okay, so, so what, ha, uh, what would be a typical workout every 14 days when he's coming in, you know, yeah. when, he's, he, when he's good, let's, you know, when he's at his best, what is he yeah. doing? He would come in and uh, he'd, he'd sit in front of the squat rack um, and he would visualize while he's stretching. Okay. You know, he'd visualize while he's stretching. And then he'd always have a goal in mind. I got to do. What did you do? 135, 225? How did he do that? And he had the space in the plates and he would clang them on purpose at the top. And he said, I was always into all my senses being alive, the smell of the chalk, the feel of the knurling. The, uh, you know, this is, this was like a church for him, man. I mean, this is like when we talk about training yeah. and how important and getting enlightened. And, and yeah. he was definitely is in. He, the, wasn't, his, he, his he wasn't multitasking. No, no. Um, and, you know, he'd say, get ready. So, get so ready. what would he work up? What would, like, be a typical work up to a top set? Yeah, he would do what we do. He would do so like, three to five reps, three to okay. five reps. And then, know, do, then do the, the crazy stuff on the back down? On right, the back and it was side. usually only one set. It was usually only of one high, set. Of high rep? Fifteens. He, he would do one day of high reps and one day of, you know, on the lower side, maybe 10 to 15. The other day he would shoot for the moon with lighter weight, you know. On the back off, but he'd work up to a three, three to five, and then on the back off. No, it wouldn't be a back off. It would be warming up. Let's say Kirk's warming up for eight hundred for five. No, no, no. Stick to plats. Don't get me confused. No, I'm so saying, give, give me a give me a classic plats. One thirty-five, two twenty-five, three fifteen, four five, four ninety-five, five eighty-five. Right, and then if, then no, what? he would stop. He would just he would just make sure he didn't wear himself out in the warm-ups. Those weren't okay. back off sets. Those were main sets. Okay, so, so what did he work up to? Work me up to something that we did, he would do when he was pe- when he, at his best. Well, 650 for 15. Six, okay, 650 for 15. So how would he get there? 135, 495, 585, 635, how much? I, he probably went from 585 to 650. Yeah, 650 and just rep that out. And he was able to get 15. Yeah. Now, when, when would he do the mm, – would he do the 25 for 10 minutes during this same time period on a different 14 days? No, I think, I think that was when he was younger and was just okay. like that. Okay, all right. So that was like as he's coming off just for like, right. hey, I can do this. Okay, cool. So that, that's what he would do. Once every 14 days. That's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't know that. I figured he would be some, you know, twice a week guy. No. But I figured he'd be v- variety. I figured he probably like was front squatting or something, you know. No, no, no. He was, he was doing accessory work though. He was doing like, uh, you know, he'd do hack, uh, sissy squats do. on the hack and all that. Right. All right, well, we'll guide us through, Jimmy. After yeah, he finished squatting. After he squatted. He, he, just like did, he just did 650 for 15. Now, right. we, now what are we going to do? Leg extensions. He would do after after squats and before yeah, just a, a few sets he'd do a couple warm-ups that are taxing but not killing him and then he'd do a set or two of you know he'd go to positive failure then he would maybe rest pause you know where he'd count to 10 then do some more rest but usually it was four reps followed by negatives followed by static so he would just take oh, the on the leg, leg extension leg extension go halfway up and have his partner push uh, down uh, his yeah. partner push down on him gruesome and he would yell, I got film of it. He'd be, he would yell, kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me. You know? So then he'd do leg extension, same leg curl, same fashion. Aren't you glad you never had sex with him? He'd do, he'd do leg, leg curl, same fashion. 
And then he would do the hacks, and on the hacks, his feet would be way what underneath. Could you, what could you possibly have left to do oh, hacks no. after oh. doing that? Yeah, but all he's got to say to himself, I don't have to do this again for two weeks. You know okay. what I mean? So then no he wonder got he was so damn nervous the night before. And, and if you've ever seen him doing leg extensions with a stack, he's just blowing out the entire stack. The whole machine is moving. It's vibrating across the, the yeah. room. So his legs were so strong, I don't even know, you know. What, what, kind of, what kind of sets and reps were you doing the hacks after he did all this other stuff? I think it's just a couple of those brutal sets. Uh, I, what would you? What kind of reps would you think? I would say twelve to fifteen. Okay, twelve to fifteen. And, and that goes on now because it gets the static and the negatives and the force reps, and it probably ends up, you know, twenty-five reps. Oh, uh, would he? You'd have. Would he do that twice, or would he save that for the last set? In the hacks, in other words, you're going to do two sets of hacks. Yeah. Would you do the force reps and the negatives on the first set and the second set or save that for the second set? I think he would do a couple of light warm-ups and then two, two sets like that. Okay, two sets. Under the impression Crush that it. a couple sets of that. And then when he wow. trained, uh, it was interesting because he trained Sergio Olivia Jr. I think yeah, I sent yeah. him that video. And he said he would call Sergio and said, man, you ready to train? It'd be seven days later. He said, Tom, I, my legs are still sore. Right. And he ten days. Now I'm not ready yet. Then at four, you know, around fourteen. Now he's ready. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Again. Anyway, uh, so, uh, now let me get back to this for a minute because I got just a quick question. Yeah. How much space? How much time would he take between the sets? Would he time himself? Did he take a lot of time? Did he was he didn't take a lot of time? How long would all this take? I think the squats he probably took. Like if he was going to do that two sets of fifty or something, that was probably you know full full rest he wasn't timing no don't give me the two sets of 50 give me the working up the 615 for 15. yeah i'm not sure i'm, I'm you know just common sense you think he would take a lot of time between 585 and 615 right I would think so. now when he gets to the uh, quote you know air quote accessory stuff with the leg extensions and the and the hacks does he take time between sets well, or does I would, he push I through the impression that he did because you know hatfield had a lot of influence on in, on him and Hatfield was a lot you know, of, you know, it's the set that matters, not the rest between sets kind of thing. Well, he's doing would such he, high he, reps, too. I mean. Would he superset uh, extensions and, and leg curls or nope. do them in straight sets? Straight sets. Straight wow. sets. And on the hacks, he stayed on his toes the whole time. Oh. Yeah. Man, you feel your knees right now thinking about it, right? No, he oh. did the sissy squat on the hack. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, Talk about crazy. a fiber. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. That's great. So, um, yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, and anybody it's who wants legs like Tom Platt's. Yeah. And it's interesting <laughs> because he – you talk about some – you know, it's just like the first time you hear Kirk talk about the squad. You're like, I didn't know my hands were that freaking important. You know what I mean? <laughs> the little things. And Tom had it broken down, man. I mean, the squad was his – I mean, that was his thing, man. That was his passion. You know, that was every, he thought about it all the time. And he yeah. had so, so many ideas. I mean, it's like a squat seminar, just listening, listening to him talk about it. And the passion that comes out of him mm -hmm. talking about it. And he relates everything. He goes, when I finish a squat workout and I'm driving down the road, that, that high lasts. And we talk about it all the time, don't we? That high lasts me for days. 
It, they, it probably does. Yeah. Everything's okay with the world. I don't care about anything. Uh, yeah. Well, what the classic powerlifting strategy is is when that glow starts to fade. Yeah. That's when. That's when you start drinking. Drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's great. That's great. Platts, uh, all uh, I, all respect to him. Uh, you know, God bless him for squatting deep. Yeah, real deep. Thank you. You know, thank you, Tom. That that did more to you know. Now, if I would have got him when he was young, I certainly would have opened up his stance with. Yeah. Right. But again, he did so good, and and again, he came from a straight. You can't get a harder core Olympic background than coming from the Skamansky brothers in Detroit. Yeah, I mean that is ground zero. Lucky, they, wasn't, he, wasn't he lucky? Oh my God, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they must have been like merciless to him. Yeah. Uh, so, and again, and then who? This is the first time in my life I knew that he took 14 days between sessions, and it was yeah. like. Okay, yeah, this is more evidence that, you know what, Chalet was right. <laughs> right, everyone's like, oh, that's Chalet, he's so lazy, he's so lazy. And, and it's like, well, yeah. and it turns out that, you know, this the whole idea of just like if you're trying to run as fast as you can, you need to be 100%. The, the goal is to run at 102% when you're 100% rested. And the same thing in strength. The, the goal is to lift 102% when you're 100% fresh. There's no percent, there's no rhyme or reason to lift 102% when you're 83% recovered. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's what you do if you, if you squat twice a week or deadlift four times a week or whatever it is that they do. And it's just like, bang, you're continually hitting the central nervous system and, you know, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and you never recover. And if you never recover, you're never fresh. So God bless Plattsford. And I'm thankfully that you, um, you can't cross this. That, that to me, that's, um, that's strategic. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, they also have, this is just real quick. They also have, all, all three, three more rep books, which we've spoken of now on the podcast yeah. before. It's on Kindle on Amazon, and they put all three books together. The original one, it's fourteen ninety five. I just ordered it. I cannot wait to dig into that. But you have the original originals. Yes, I do, and it's, ava it's available. It's available for a thousand dollars. I've been waiting for it to come out in any form. I it is duct tape. I literally have the covers duct taped on <laughs> the thing. And, and yeah, I've used it a lot. Now, I think the problem was that in volume two, anyway, the names weren't as good. Yeah. You know, like you read the names down. I was like, I don't care how Kalsic trained or, like, yeah. or, or what was the da Danny Padilla. You know, they had all these lesser light guys in, or, or Dennis Tenorino. I don't, yeah, I don't care how they train. And now, maybe volume three, they had some good dudes. But in volume one, man, they had Franco. They had Arnold. They had Robbie. They had Menser. Yeah. They had Zane. I mean, you, you, you know what I mean? I, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Did they have cats? I can't remember. But again, that was that was power pack. But I think that was the problem in the subsequent volumes is that the, the quality of the stars went down. They would have like, uh, what was his name? Bill Morris. Mm. Remember him? Yeah. Uh, you know, just 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 lesser lesser like guys. So we'll be interested. Give us some give us some feedback after you read. I will. It. I will. All right. Cool. 
You know, I love these little tidbits at the end of the podcast. It's akin to like, uh, you know, being on the freeway, cruising in the, the fast lane at 80 miles an hour, and then just taking the steering wheel and jerking it to the right as hard as you can. Sorry. <laughs> Jim, another interesting Jim was responsible, not me. <laughs> Jim brought it up, not me. I love this stuff. <laughs> no, I love it. And I can't believe all this is free. <laughs> tell Tom all right Platts. tell tom platts we love him we do like tom platts let's get let's tom platts on this um, get him on here all right listen a couple more things here check out marty's weekly column raw with marty gallagher at ironcompany.com as we spoke of earlier if you're looking for plates uh bars you know power bars olympic bars squat racks rubber flooring mats anything Check us out at ironcompany.com. We're glad to help you out. We've got new Jim Steele articles coming in fast and furious. What's and the latest? Found- what's, what's the latest? The latest is stressors, but the next one's going to be 10. Oh, that's old hat. That's old hat. 10 tips for successful dieting. Oh, I like that. Looking okay. forward to it. I haven't seen that one yet. What's your, what's your word count on that? Curious. You uh, 1,700, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is going to be fat. That's good. I like that. Also, don't forget that I have an Instagram account. Never feel Go ahead to and give it. that. Go ahead and give it. Jimmy, what is it? The Marty Gallagher. <laughs> the Marty Gallagher. That's his Instagram. Okay. And then finally... If you're seeking a radical physical transformation, our guys are available online for, for online coaching. You can email them at marty at ironcompany.com and jim at ironcompany.com. Dude, I had a guy, I'm training this guy eight weeks. He put on 25 pounds and he doesn't look, not look like that. Oh, no. Listen to this. Guess what he's doing? He's lifting twice a week and he's doing squat deadlift press twice a week. And I just adjust yep. one day's heavy squat, one day's light squat, one day's heavy deadlift, one day's, I mean, really light, you know, with the other. How old is he? Uh, probably 28, 27. 20, any, 20 anything's great. Right? Is he a beginner or he's been doing this for yeah, a while? No, so he, with COVID, he didn't lift as often. Yeah. You know, he was just, just getting into it, but man, he has shot up. And I looked at him today, I said, Pat, where'd you get those legs from, man? You know, his hamstrings he's around. From, from Jim Steele, he got he, He's been in the woodshed. I'm you, that's right. <laughs> right. That's For right. real. Oh, we got to talk. We got to, uh, how, how, how many, he's week eight? Yeah, week eight. He gets out of 12. Jim at six o'clock. He's there, at, you know, his wife does it and his brother too. Excellent. So there's no conflict at home. This is great. Because a lot of times if, if one, anyway. Uh, so you're going to run him 12 weeks, you figure? I don't think we're going to stop. I mean, okay, I great. Well, well, give us some updates on this because this is, this is, this is, we love regular person results. Yeah. He's like a chemical consultant, engineering. Something. Jim, are you charging him by the pound? I should. Hey. By, the, by the pound of muscle gains? <laughs> listen, listen, if, if, if someone shows that much dedication, I wouldn't, you know, if he yeah. said, I ain't got no money, I'd say, don't worry about yeah. it. I'll see you tomorrow. It's a, you know, yeah. that's a life thing. That's right. That's what you do. Yeah. That's how you, got That's how you get, give back to the community. That's right. All right, guys. I got to cut you off. I got to go. Right, I'm starving. I'll be That's good. All right. Talk He's, next week. He's Bye. starving. See ya. Goodbye. <laughs>